Good morning, church. It's good to see you. We're in Hebrews chapter five, halfway through. Had a great uh, event Friday. Uh, we had the auditorium full of guys eating slabs of bacon. We put down just pounds of bacon and, uh, and singing to the Lord. I loved hearing the guys sing. It was a great event. Thank you guys for coming. Uh, it was a good Friday. It was a good Saturday. Did your, did your college football team win? Mine did. Yes, UNC, barely. By the skin of, of your teeth, you guys won. And it's always a good Saturday when Alabama loses. So amen? <laughs> always. This is a good way to prepare for Sunday, in my estimation, at least. Uh, tonight, uh, we've got Awana for the Kids, Bring Your Children, Youth, we've got United, we've had a great turnout for our students, adults. We always have something for you. Tonight in the fireside room, we're going to be praying for Anthony and the team there and, uh, Chelsea and, and Chelsea and Josiah and the work in North Africa and our other missionaries. We'll be praying for them tonight. Also singing some hymns in the fireside room, so you can come join us for that and then uh, Monday morning, early tomorrow, Kenneth and I leave for Barranquilla, uh, Colombia, South America. We're gonna be starting a pastor school this week, actually. It's a three-year project that we're doing. Uh, and then Friday, a team from Open Doors is going to meet us there, and they're gonna be doing an ESL training, serving the church, doing some ESL uh, to to both uh, train folks and serve folks and, and reach the lost. And I think there might be some, some, some here in, in this service that are going. If you're, if you're going on the Columbia trip, stand up real quick, if you would, just stand up. Let's thank God for those folks that are gonna go and be serving the Lord. Please uh, know that we've been praying for you guys and uh, I'll see you on Friday if you make it and if I'm still alive. So uh, we're excited for that. Um, uh, at the end of the service today, I don't do this rarely, uh, but I'm gonna be having a special time of prayer um, in inviting you if you want, even come forward and join me here at these steps to, to seek the Lord. There, there's something specifically I, I want us to be praying for this morning. And then of course, whatever else the Lord leads you to pray for. But with the passage of scripture today, and, and listen, I really hope that you have had enough coffee or caffeine, that you got some rest, because I'm gonna need your minds fully engaged with this passage of scripture. This is one of the most difficult passages of scripture in the New Testament. It is very challenging. And so uh, please stay with me all the way through this morning. But if you're like me, there's at least one person that, that you love and you're endeared to and you're just not sure if they're a Christian. They may even say they are, they may talk a good talk about Christianity, but if you're honest, you, you would probably say, I just don't know. I just don't know. And then maybe only God does, but there's this check, there's this question mark, or there's this burden, or maybe, maybe you would say, look, if, if I had to, if I had to decide, I, I would say they're not. They're not, even though they may claim to be, they're just, not. You, do you have a loved one like that? Raise your hand. Uh, all of us seem like, yeah, we do. All right, so what do we do with that, right? It's just something that, that is pressing on us and, and it's heartbreaking uh, and, and we want to be prayerful for them. And today we're going to be thinking through as to how, how, does, that, how does that work? 
when, when someone might claim to be a Christian, but we're just not sure, and, and there's doubts. And, and, and what do we do with the words of Jesus? Because let me just be honest up front. Nobody has more sobering teaching about this than Jesus himself. When you look to the teachings of Jesus and the stories of Jesus, sometimes it is quite alarming. You remember what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where his disciples were there and all these people were listening to him and all these people who were following him and he looked at them and he said, you know what? At the end of time, many of you will stand before me and you will claim that you know me. You will claim that you've prophesied in my name. You'll claim that you cast out demons and done all this stuff and had all these experiences. And I'm gonna look at you and say, I never knew you. I never knew you. You need to depart from me. You're a lawless person. What a sobering thought. People who claim, but Jesus says, but I never claimed you. How do you know? What gives you confidence that you're a Christian? What gives you assurance that when you stand before the Lord someday, that he will say, I do know you, and you come and enjoy my kingdom. This message today, I hope, is going to help everyone here. Because first of all, if, if you're not a Christian, you're going to hear some sobering truths about Christianity. And Christianity is a commitment of your entire life. It's not just praying a prayer. It's not just attending church. There's a whole life commitment that you make to live for Jesus Christ. And, and, and I say that because there's nothing more that I want than for you to decide to follow Jesus. I, I want for Jesus to say at the end of time, you do belong to me. Now come and enjoy my heaven. That's what I want. And, and maybe that's your need today for the first time to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Some of you are struggling with your faith. And, and, and maybe you don't know. And maybe you're looking for assurance. We're going to talk about that today. For those of us, and we, we know Christ, and, and yet assurance is always helpful. And we're going to consider today what necessitates for you to be assured that you belong to Christ. And there's three lessons that, um, that I want to share with you from Hebrews 5, 11 to uh, chapter 6 and verse 20. And then here's the first. This is what gives us assurance. It's, it's spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity, it strengthens us to, to pursue Christ and, and even to persevere when we are facing trials or persecution. So this whole concept of how do you know and, and who really is saved, this is, what the, this is what the book of Hebrews is all about. It's about a, a, an admonition not to fall away. It's, a, it's an encouragement to remain. And this is what the author of Hebrews says. He says, we have a great uh, uh, amount to say uh, about this. We have a great deal to say about this. Uh, he, the, the author of Hebrews, he really wants to talk about this, and he wants to talk about it in depth. He says, but to be honest, it's difficult to explain. These are hard sayings. 
And yet the reason why it's difficult for the author of Hebrews to say this to the church is because the church was not mature enough to hear the words. He says, you become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you, you ought to be teachers, you still need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You're still drinking milk like a baby. You're, no, you're not able to drink or to eat the solid food. All right, now let me make sure you understand this context because this is going to be absolutely necessary for you to understand what these words mean. Now, whenever you study the Bible, you always place the passage of Scripture within the context of what the author is speaking about. If you take it out of context, you run in danger of misinterpreting it. So I want you to make sure you understand the context. Here's what's going on. It's a Christian church. The, the Christian church has a lot of Jews who, who are from Jewish descent. Now, within the church, there were some from Jewish descent who had been a part of the church, and they were enjoying the church, but the church was experiencing persecution. And rather than staying with the church and enduring, they decided, I'm out. I'm out. I mean, yeah, this was great for a while. You're talking about Jesus and talking about salvation, talking about grace and all this stuff. And I like you all. And, and this was a good experience for me, but I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in this to, to suffer with you. I'm, I'm not in this if we're going to be persecuted. As a matter of fact, I've been thinking about this and I think I'm just going to go back to Judaism. I'm just going to go back. So as they were experiencing the church, and Christianity, they decided, this is not for me, I'm going back. And, and, and Hebrews is all about, why would you go back? Why would you go back when Jesus is so much greater? Why, why would you go back to a system where you've got to continue to bring animals and sacrifice their blood, and you'll never ever be able to fully cover or compensate for your sins. Why would you go back to that? Why would you place yourself under priests? They're just men like Aaron, who was fallible and sinful. Why wouldn't you receive the great high priest who came down from heaven, who came through the greater temple, who came through the greater veil, who offered himself and his blood as a better sacrifice? Not one like Aaron, one like this super interesting guy that we'll learn about next week called Melchizedek. Why would you go back? Why would you go back to a system where you place yourself under the law, hoping that you'll do enough good things that God might one day declare you to be saved? Just like Josiah shared in the video, hoping but never knowing whether you've been good enough. Why would you go back? That's the context. And yes, the church was facing persecution. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, look, now look, I want to be able to talk to you about the deep things of our faith. And you just can't handle it. You're not mature enough to understand it. You're still stuck on the ABCs of Christianity rather than the advanced grammar. 
He says, at this point in time, you should be teaching this stuff, not, not continuing to have to learn about this stuff. You're still sipping on milk. I mean, you, you love the fact that we talk about how good God is and, that, and how much God wants to bless you. But you can't swallow the fact that maybe sometimes God wants you to suffer. That's the meat. You love to talk about grace. You don't like to talk about God judging. You love it when, when we talk about the mercy of God. You, you tend to stop listening when we start talking about discipline and the necessity to discipline your life. It was Jesus who said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. Is that why you're in Christianity? Or you just like the fact that you know you're saved and you get to go to heaven? That's the milk. Living for righteousness' sake is the meat. This demands devotion. This, this demands action. And unfortunately, the church, they were just spiritual infants. They had yet to grow up drinking milk, not being able to handle the meat. My precious granddaughters are here, and they are consuming milk like nobody's business. <laughs> At some point in time, though, time to wean them off that. Introduce some solid food. That's what a mature person does. You see, Christianity is a life cycle. The Bible talks about it as such. You begin with birth. The Bible calls it new birth or being born again. And then you're a spiritual infant. But you don't remain there. Because the Bible tells you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And part of that knowledge is difficult sayings like this. That demand your devotion and your discipline and your willingness to be persecuted if necessary. It's like being a good athlete. Many of you love sports. And you know you, you cannot win unless you endure training. Tons and tons and tons of training for a few moments of actually playing, right? But the Bible says that even that is good, but it doesn't last. Paul says to Timothy, train yourself in godliness. For physical training has some benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way. It helps you in this life, but more importantly, in the life of to come. Listen, one of the marks of whether or not you're really a Christian is are you maturing in your faith? And I love you enough to say if there's no evidence of you maturing, then there needs to be a question of whether you've ever truly believed. Now here's the second mark. If the first one is, it's spiritual maturity that marks our belief, 
and, and this maturity strengthens us to pursue Christ and persevere. The second one is this. Bearing spiritual fruit helps us to know that we're saved, and it helps us to pursue Christ and persevere in our faith. So we, there needs to be spiritual maturity, but also, and this is absolutely necessary, there needs to be a display of Christ-like fruit in your life. If you belong to Jesus, you have to look like him. You have to bear fruit that looks like Jesus. That's not an if, that's a must. If you belong to Jesus, your life must conform to the image of Jesus. Not perfectly, we're not there yet. But yes, there must be spiritual fruit born. Now we go to chapter six. Right, time to pay attention. The author of Hebrews says, therefore, let's leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity. Let's quit being babies, sipping milk. Let's be, as Paul said to, to, in, in, to the church at Ephesus, that, that we are to become a mature man, to develop into the full stature of Christ, to grow up. Let's do that. Is we're not going to be able to endure or persevere unless we do. All right, so here's, here's, the, here's the admonition. Let's leave all this elementary teaching behind. Let's, let's just stop with the ABCs of Christianity and let's get to the advanced grammar stuff, right? Let's just stop YouTubing our faith. Let's become teachers and instructors and, and, and people who can disciple others that mature. And so he says, let's, let's grow up. Let's go on to maturity. Now listen to these words. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teachings about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this we will move beyond these elemental things. We will mature if God permits. Okay, now, are you with me? This list, these statements are referring to the nation of Israel. These statements are referring to what Judaism looks like. Because remember, in the church, some of Jewish descent decided, I'm going back. I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to what I'm comfortable with. I'm going back. And so I need for you to think about what happened with the nation of Israel under the leadership of Moses and Aaron, the high priest. And then you got to ask this question. Were they saved? Were they saved? And I'll just keep that in mind. So, did Israel, right, with Moses as the leader, Aaron as a high priest, did they believe in repentance? Yes, of course they did. They had the law. They knew what the law said. They, they, they understood repentance. But did they know that they must repent of their sins and place 
their saving faith in the Messiah, that they can't work their way to salvation. It's through repentance of sin and faith. No, they didn't know that. No, they didn't know that at all because they had laid a foundation of repentance from dead works. So the Bible is very clear here. Can't work your way into righteousness. You see, the works, whether you're talking about Judaism or any other religion, can't save you. Now, again, did they believe in, uh, and did they teach about ritual washings? Yes, the, the law talks about that. This is talking about Judaism. They, they would, you know, um, uh, do washings to, to symbolize cleansing, but, but they, they never understood what it meant to be washed clean by the Spirit of God. They didn't understand that. Did Israel practice the laying on of hands? Yes, of course. Anytime you're appointing a priest, they would do the, the laying on of hands thing. But did they, did they understand that the great high priest you wouldn't lay your hands on him. He came from heaven down to offer himself as our sacrifice. They didn't know that. They didn't believe in that. Did they believe in the resurrection from the dead? Sure, they, they had this concept of this place called Sheol, a, a grave. But they didn't understand what it meant to be born again. They didn't know what it meant to be made alive through faith in the Messiah or as we know Jesus Christ. Did they believe in eternal judgment? Of course any good Jew believed in eternal judgment. They just didn't think it would be them. They're Jewish. They thought God was going to judge all you non-Jews. Israel never matured. That's a, just a good way to summarize the whole Old Testament. Israel had a good start, but they never revealed saving faith. They never matured. So if the question is, were they saved? The answer is no. No. Some were. Some had placed faith in a Messiah. But the nation of Israel as a whole did not express spiritual maturity, nor did they bear spiritual fruit. And, and because of that, Israel failed, and the church then in the new covenant is promised to succeed. And if you belong to the church and you're a true member of the church, you will succeed as well. And we're going to see that. But, but, but whether we're talking about ancient Israel or Judaism, or maybe you grew up in a church that demanded, if you don't display certain works... You cannot be saved. That in some way works equates to salvation. Then my friends, your, your gospel is just as wonky as the Jews. Because the Bible could not be more abundantly clear that salvation comes as a free gift when you place saving faith in the one who performed all the works for you. Period. And that person is Jesus Christ. And he is our great high priest. So, so with that in mind, right? With that in mind, like why would you go back to the, 
to Judaism when the history of the nation of Israel is nothing but failure. Now, verse 4. Now, it gets even more dicey. For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. This is because to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up in contempt. Now, one of the strongest warnings in the Bible is given to us, that we must never fall away from faith in Christ alone. But again, I need you to be very careful here. Remember, you always read the scriptures in their context. Now, I have shown you clearly the context of this passage. This context is talking about ancient Israel and how they failed to prove they had saving faith. And just as the list of, of what Israel believed in was given prior, another list is given that describes what ancient Israel experienced. Many have read this, this verse, and they've pulled it out of its context and said, oh, this obviously is talking about someone who is a Christian who lost their salvation. That is absolutely not what is being taught here, and I'm going to show you why that is the case. First of all, we already knew from verses prior that, that, that the author of Hebrews is saying, why would you go back to a failed system of dead works? Why would you go back? And yes, Christianity is built upon Judaism, right? It's where we find our foundations. But, but the Judaism just gives us the elemental principles to where we build upon that and we acknowledge Christ as the answer and Christ as the source of our salvation and Christ is the one in whom we place our faith in. So yes, we'll start there, but we're not going to end there. We need a salvation that comes through faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and Him alone. Israel did not have that. They failed to believe that. And just as Israel failed to place their faith in the promises of God, and they all died in the desert, why would anybody turn back? Why would you go back to that? Now, when it says, for it is impossible to renew to repentance those who are once enlightened, and this list, here's the warning, because in the very same way, Israel experienced all of these things. Let me show you. The nation of Israel was enlightened. Did not God reveal himself time and time again to the nation of Israel? Of course they knew God. They knew God. They had God's word. They saw God's presence through a, a pillar of fire, a cloud. They saw him. Of course they were enlightened. God had revealed himself time and time again. Had Israel tasted of the heavenly gift? Absolutely, they tasted of the heavenly gift. What did they eat every morning when they woke up? Manna from heaven. Yes, they tasted of God's presence and his power all the time. 
Did Israel share in the Holy Spirit? Of course they did. It was the Spirit of God who led them out from Egypt. It was the Spirit of God who led them to Sinai, who led them through the wilderness. He guided them all the time. It was the Spirit of God who anointed those that would be priests and prophets and later kings. Did Israel taste of God's good word? Of course they did. Moses delivered them the word of God. They had the word of God. They, they were to recite the word of God. Of course they tasted of it. The scripture were revealed, and even in the scriptures, Moses himself revealed, yeah, but know this, there's a greater prophet than me that's going to come. They had all of these things, and yet Israel fell away. They refused to believe in God's promises. They rebelled in the wilderness, and when they turned their backs upon God and refused to enter Canaan, and they started making their way back to Egypt, God says, you will never, never be saved. You'll die in this wilderness. And that is exactly what happens. They fell away. They refused to believe in the promises of God. They weren't willing to undergo the persecution and the suffering. They weren't willing to undergo the challenges of entering into Canaan. They turned their backs on all of these things and their bodies fell away in death in the wilderness. They never repented. And they sealed their faith like Esau. Later on in Hebrews chapter 12, we will read of Esau who sold his birthright for a bowl of pottage, a bowl of stew. And the author of Hebrews will tell us, and Esau could never achieve repentance from that point forward, though he shed many tears. They were like Judas, who walked with Jesus, and yet turned his back on him and sold him and they were mostly like the Pharisees. The Pharisees of Jesus' day. The Pharisees who knew God's word. The Pharisees who taught God's word. The Pharisees who understood the promises of God. And yet when they were faced with the Messiah face to face, what did they do? Did they bow on their knees and place faith in him and devote their lives to him? No. They crucified him. And anyone who hears the gospel, that it is faith in Christ and Christ alone that saves and turns their back on that truth, you might as well be re-crucifying Jesus all over. Now, does that make sense? Does this difficult passage now, is this becoming clear to you? Okay, now, some of you are still like, yeah, but I'm not convinced. I still think this is talking about someone who got saved and they lost their salvation. All right, now let me just put two lists up. Here's the lists. On the one side, I'm going to list these concepts that clearly talk about salvation. When the Bible talks about salvation, it uses these concepts. And then I'm going to show you the list that we just see in Hebrews 6. And, and they are not the same, right? Because this says enlightened they were enlightened it doesn't say they were justified right? if it said justified it'd be talking about they were saved 
It just says enlightened, like Israel. It doesn't say they were justified by faith. It says they had tasted of the heavenly gift. It doesn't say they've received saving grace. It says they shared in the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say they were born again by the Holy Spirit. It says they tasted of God's good word. It doesn't say they were transformed by God's word. There is no mention of redemption. There is no mention of being made righteous. And here's the kicker. There's no mention of Christ. There's no mention of Christ in that list. So how can that be talking about salvation? It can't be. It cannot be. It isn't. It's just talking about the unfortunate result of Israel's failure to believe. And, and so, when we don't take this list and then, and then try to say, well, this has to mean this. No, clearly, it's not talking about salvation. But, but then, let's ask the question, well, what about me? Like, how do I know? How do I know that, that I'm, I'm truly born again, that I, I'm truly a Christian? And the answer, friends, is are you bearing fruit that looks like Jesus? That's simply the answer. And, and so the author of Hebrews helps us here because he says that. Verse 7, for the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it and that produces vegetation useful for those uh, whom it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed and at the end will be burned. Now, all the author of Hebrews is doing here is quoting Jesus because it is Jesus who with clarity and with some really strong language, tells us the danger of maybe looking like a Christian, but you really are not. Because those who really belong to Jesus will bear the fruit of Jesus, and they will continue to bear this fruit. Now, this is what Jesus says in John 15. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because he can't do without me. If anyone doesn't remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers and they gather them and throw them into fire and then they're burned. So he says, then those who belong to me, they remain in me and they bear my fruit. This is one of the marks of our salvation. We mature in our faith and we bear fruit that looks like Christ. But now Jesus tells a story. And it's the exact story that Jimmy shared when he was reading scripture and I hadn't even planned that. He tells the story of the, uh, of the sower and the seeds, right? You remember this story? And, and so the sower who's got the gospel and he's, he's throwing out the seeds of the gospel. The gospel is the good news about Jesus. And, and he throws it on different types of soils, and the soils represent the human heart. And there's four different soils, but actually they're just two, two types of soils. Those that receive the word and bear fruit, and those that don't. But as the story goes on, the, the sower, he casts some seed out, and, uh, and some falls on rocky ground. I mean, the seed was never able to even take root. And, and so 
the birds just come and snatch it away. And he talks about that's how the devil does. For some, their hearts remain hard and um, they're clearly not Christians. They, they don't receive. But then there's some, he says, where, where the seed is sown in rocky places and there's this shallow amount of soil. And yes, it actually, a plant springs up, but there's no root. There's no root connected. And, and then eventually uh, what happens is it, the sun comes out and the plant is withered, but here's the key. It never bears fruit. It never bears fruit. Then, then he says there's some seed and it's, thrown among, it's sown among the thorns. And, and, and then when they hear the gospel, it's like, oh, this is wonderful. This is great. Salvation and grace and forgiveness and all. This is good stuff. Yes, yes, yes. But then the cares of the world begin to choke out the plant. And because they have greater desire, like I, I desire money. Jesus uses that, that analogy. He goes, because you desire money more than me, you get choked out. You never bear fruit. Of those three soils, they're actually all the same because they never bear fruit. Then he says, there is seed sown on the good soil. And when this person hears the word and believes it, he grows up, matures, and he bears fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Regardless, some produce more fruit than others. But the key is, are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing the fruit? That is the sign that salvation truly has stuck, that you truly belong, that you've been attached to the vine and that you will remain in the vine. And we all have scenarios here. This is where I'm going to ask us to pray in a minute. Because we all know people who are just not sure. We're just not sure. Because sometimes we think we see fruit, but other times we don't. And just if we're just honest, we're like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not seeing them mature in Christ. I'm not seeing them bear the fruit of Christ. And, and my friend, it does not matter if you were raised in a Christian home. It does not matter if you were raised in a Christian church. It doesn't matter if you were raised in Sunday school. It doesn't even matter if you prayed some prayer or you were baptized at some moment in time. All that matters is if you have really repented of your faith and cried out to Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation and you are marked by that faith because you're growing, you're maturing, and you're bearing fruit. This is why the Bible says, make your calling and your election sure. There are many, many who claim, but they've never truly repented. Now, what do we do with this? Because we know that spiritual maturity is a mark, that we belong to Christ, and, and, and because of that, we will persevere. We know that bearing fruit is a mark. It, it, it strengthens our faith. It will help us to persevere. Listen, ultimately, here's what we have to do. We must anchor our lives upon Christ and his promises. Because in Christ, you will persevere. That's a guarantee. In Christ, you will persevere. And I'm going to show you that here in these next few verses. Now, verse 9, the author of Hebrews changes 
And now he's talking about those who are truly believers in the church. He's talking about those who truly repented and believed. Here's what he says. Even though we are speaking this way, he, he's talking, I had, I had to say some hard things of those who decided I'm going back. And, and, and honestly, they've sealed their faith. I've had to say some hard things. But now look, he's saying, I'm speaking to you, dearly loved friends. He's talking to the true Christians in the church. In your case, we are, look at the word, confident of the things that are better. Jesus is better. Submitting your life to him is better. And that pertain to salvation. Oh, guess what? Now we see the word. We didn't see the word before, did we? Now we see the word. Now he's talking about those who are saved. You. Now let's talk about what salvation looks like. For God is not unjust. He's not going to forget your work. He's not going to forget the fact that he sees fruit being born of your faith. The way that you demonstrated your faith. And the love that you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and, and, and continuing to serve them. He says, I, I see your fruit. I see your maturity. Salvation is yours and it will not be taken away. Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end. You can have assurance. And you can have assurance all the way until you get to heaven so that you won't become lazy. That's the warning. We must not become lazy. But we will be imitators of those who inherited the promises through faith and perseverance, primarily imitate Abraham. And the author of Hebrews is going to go into detail later and talk about why we need to imitate Abraham. Because Abraham placed his faith in the promise of God and he persevered. It took a hundred years before God answered Abraham's prayer. A hundred years. Some of you get mad at God if after two weeks of praying. Some of you come to me and you're just all disgruntled, upset after a month. Some of you are about ready to lose your salvation over something that is temporary. Abraham prayed a hundred years. He persevered a hundred years. Can you not wait longer? Can you not endure? Don't become lazy. Imitate those who have inherited the promises. What is it? Through faith and perseverance. And, and this is how we know. This is how you can know and have full assurance and confidence of your salvation because God keeps his promise. You can have full assurance of salvation because God keeps his promise. He kept it to Abraham. He will keep it to you because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose, verse 17, even more clearly to the heirs of the promise. That's us if we're in Christ. And he guarantees your salvation with his oath so that there's two unchangeable things. First, it's impossible for God to lie. If God makes a promise to you, he's going to keep it. It's impossible for God to lie. 
If we have fled for refuge, sought salvation through faith in Christ, then, then we might have strong encouragement to seize the hope that is set before us. Now, where is the hope? Because this hope becomes the anchor of your soul. Here's the hope. Your hope is in Jesus, that he is better, that he is greater than all of your sin, that by grace he will save you, and once he saves you, he will never, ever, ever, ever unsave you or leave you or neglect you. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm out of time. I'm just going to give you a, a small list. I could give you a list of a hundred verses of Scripture that just simply agree with the author of Hebrews here. And, and the weight of scripture that is so clear that this, this gift of salvation, once it's received, cannot, cannot be taken away. Romans chapter eight. And for those he predestined, he also called. And for those he called, he also justified. And for those he justified, he also did what? Is that past tense or future tense? What is it, grammar? It's past tense. What does that mean? It's already taken place. If it were future tense, it's, well, maybe it'll happen. Maybe you'll be glorified. It's past tense. That means the moment you're justified, you at the same time are glorified. It's already a done deal. If you're justified, you're in it's past tense, praise God. This is the meat. This is the deeper grammar that I'm talking about. It's past tense. It's a done deal. Romans 11, God's gracious gifts and calling are what? Are they, are, are they able to change? No, they are irrevocable. They're irrevocable. Your salvation is irrevocable. Philippians 1, he who started a good work in you will carry it on to what? Completion when? When Christ returns. In other words, if you're truly saved and God has begun the work of sanctification in your life, he's going to complete it. That's his promise. He's going to complete it. It's just going to take him all the way until Christ returns to do so. So yeah, he's got a lot of work to do on you, but he's going to do the work. He's going to do the work. Hebrews 10, we're going to see this later. By one offering, that's Christ's offering, he has, what's the word? He's perfected you. He's perfected you how long? Forever for those who's being sanctified. So make sure later today you look at your spouse or you look at your friend, you say, I'm perfect, by the way. Perfection. You just need a little time. Just a little time, you are there. It's guaranteed. It's promised. Romans, uh, Revelation 13 and 8. Everyone whose name was not written from the what? From the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb 
who was slaughtered. When is your name written in the book of life? Is that a future thing? Was your name written in the book of life when you prayed a prayer to ask Jesus to save you? Your name was written in the book of life before God made anything. Your name was written in the book of life. You were sealed. You were his before he created anything. He wasn't waiting on you to do something. He was just waiting on saving you in his time and his way. But you were, it was a done deal. Here's my favorite one. I got to end with this. Thank you for letting me go a few minutes long. Listen to the words of Jesus. Would you just listen to these words with me? And then, that, then there's absolutely no doubt that when Jesus saves, he saves to the utmost. He saves entirely. And that salvation cannot and will not be taken away. This is what Jesus says. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than anything. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. When you anchor your faith in Christ, in Christ alone, you are absolutely assured and you can be confident that your salvation is secure. What I'm going to do, um, we're going to have time of prayer. And you can pray while you're seated. I'm actually going to just come and kneel. I, there's some folks, I guess to be honest, I don't know if they're saved. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for their salvation. Maybe there's someone in your life that you want to just come forward and pray for. Maybe there's another reason you want to come forward and pray and just, just kneel before God. I think at times it's good to have this posture of just kneeling before the Lord, but please just, regardless of whether you stay seated or come, just pray. And, and maybe, maybe there's that one person or a couple of people you're really going to pray, God, please, just would you save them? Save them. And then let me just say one more thing. Listen, Christianity is a commitment. It, it, it's not cheap grace. Saving grace demands your life. But I'm telling you, it is the best life, amen? So, so maybe, maybe you're like, I've been faking it the whole time. I've been faking it the whole time. Maybe today you'll go, I'm done faking it. I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm willing to live my life out publicly before him. Maybe today would be the day of your salvation. And then you truly place faith in Christ. I'm telling you, he will keep you. He will mature you. You will bear fruit and you will have confidence. Anchor, anchor your life in Jesus. It'll, it'll, it'll transform your life. And if, if you make that commitment today, please don't leave without letting us know. I had a wonderful conversation after the first service about this very thing. And I just know God is a saving God. He might want to save you this morning. So we're going to pray. If you want, you come join me at these steps.